Hi, I'm Jane Jackson. And I'm Colin Denny. And you're listening to A Better Workplace from Wistia. We all know how important it is when those in equity-seeking groups feel and know that their place of employment not only appreciates their talent, skills, and experience through fair pay and promotion structures, but also that their workplace appreciates and understands the importance of making sure people in those groups feel psychologically safe and a sense of belonging. One of the ways to do that is to create a code of conduct for your company. A code of conduct lays out the expectations you have for your community and establishes a standard of behavior that ensures folks can bring their full selves to work. One of the goals of this show is to help our listeners take actionable steps to make the changes and advancements in their own organizations that both embrace and exhibit policies of diversity, equity, and inclusion in an authentic way. And to that end, today we're going to cover just about everything you would want to know about creating your own code of conduct. We're going to speak to three experts about codes of conduct. First, we'll speak to an HR attorney to cover the legal aspects. Then we're going to chat with an HR consultant about everything you want to consider when you're writing your own. Then we'll wrap it up with the VP of People at another tech company whose work on a code of conduct actually inspired us here at Wistia. Now, on the surface, this may seem like a topic that only us HR people can really geek out about, but I promise you, If you stick around, there's a little something in here for everyone. I am sure you are not biased at all in saying that. Nope, definitely not in the least. All right, well, it seems like we've got a lot to cover. So, Jane, should we get started? Let's do it. Welcome to another episode of A Better Workplace. Before we start talking about what makes a great code of conduct or even how to roll out a code of conduct at your company, we thought it would be a good idea to define what a code of conduct is. The code of conduct is kind of like house rules. That's employment lawyer Liz Monenbrauder. Liz is an attorney and a partner at Hirsch Roberts Weinstein, and we sat down with her to learn exactly what a code of conduct is and why companies should think about bringing one to their organization. So a code of conduct is essentially a statement of the company's shared values. It's the guiding principles, and then it's linking them to what are the expectations? What's expected of employees? What should they do and what shouldn't they do? Think about the rules in each of our families growing up. You know, maybe there was a rule about saying please and thank you or looking both ways before you cross the street or not beating up on your little sibling or whatever the house rules were for each family because it differs. But they all kind of boil down to the same things, right? It all has to do with treating people with respect, having res- you know responsibility for your actions, taking responsibility and safety. And so a code of conduct is really kind of the house rules for a company. It boils down to creating a safe, respectful, inclusive work environment. So that's the way I like to think of it. When should people start thinking about this who are in leadership positions? Is it something that, you know, founders should be thinking about at person one or two? Is it something that companies should be thinking about when they hit 200 people? And what's the value of that? Great question. And I like to say I went to law school for three years to realize the answer to a lot of questions is it depends. <laughs> there's no, you know, there's no magic number. And right. I, I actually think of it 
less in terms of the size of the company and more in terms of kind of where they are in their growth. So I find a lot of my clients, um, you know, got started and then, you know, a couple of years in, they realize we're ready to be a little clear about what we stand for, what we are, what we expect. And that's when they start, you know, reaching out to me and connecting with me around, you know, what kind of policies should we have? You know, which are the ones we are required to have? Which should we have? Um, And that's when we usually start to develop things like a code of conduct and a handbook. Taking that uh, a small step further, I'm wondering when or at what point should uh, a company look to involve the legal aspect of writing a code of conduct? And is that something that should happen from the jump or are there specific circumstances that would warrant that? That's a great question. So, you know, there are a lot of terrific uh, human resource professionals who can work hand in hand with an employment attorney and come up with, you know, what's going to be the code of conduct and policies that are a good fit for the organization because there isn't a one size fits all. Now, that doesn't mean you have to start from scratch because most employment attorneys have a bunch of templates that you can then customize, um, but there isn't a one size fits all. So generally, it's you know human resources working in partnership with an employment attorney who you know the employment attorney is going to have the lens of you know are there state specific considerations are there you know thinking about how might this document be useful to the company you know in various situations for example if there was ever a claim or litigation um, so I like to see a partnership where HR, you know, is bringing their, bringing to bear their knowledge about company culture and what's going to be a good fit. And then, um, the attorney is bringing to bear, you know, the legal, the legal lens on it. It's interesting. These code of conducts, as we've dug in a little bit, um, can take very different forms. It's different to different companies, When you are talking with companies and thinking about a code of conduct through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, what are some things that are helpful for leaders to keep in mind as they want to incorporate that into the code of conduct versus just kind of the rules of the organization? Yeah, so important. Um, So one thing is around consistency and fairness, right? So it's no surprise, but a document on paper is no silver bullet for anything. But a document that reflects values of the organization and that ideally is rolled out in conjunction with training um, and, and is part of you know a thoughtful process of thinking about what the organization is trying to achieve, including its DEI goals. Um, the the policy and the code of conduct, you know, become a, a tool um, for for kind of setting out both what's expected, but also saying we really value consistency. Like this is what's expected and we're going to, we're going to apply this for everyone. Um, And so I think when you have that, when you have a sense of fairness um, and, and and employees see that they're being treated fairly under kind of the the house rules, um, that's a good foundation for loyalty and respect um, and other, and other kind of building blocks for real diversity and inclusion work. Um, so I see it as kind of a piece of the puzzle. You mentioned something that I think does get lost in a lot of this work. You mentioned the need for training. Can you tell me what that involves or what a successful rollout is? It's not just, it sounds like it's not just, let's get it on the paper and then we can uh, 
we can be done with it. What what does a successful rollout look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I love training. I, I love, I love. It's a great way to get to know people in an organization. It's a great way to get to know what matters to them, and it's so important because, hey, folks are busy. So you know, some employees might see the employee handbook and code of conduct when they start, and then might not have opportunity to turn to it or look at it again until it applies to them or they're reminded or asked to look at it as a refresher. So training can be just a great chance to do the work of talking about company culture. Um, and having important conversations. So I like to think, you know, if you were to ask a group of employees, who is responsible for company culture here? Who's responsible for it? (laughs) Some employees might immediately answer um, with whoever's at the tip of the top of the org chart, right? They might think, oh, that that person, they're responsible for company culture. But other employees might think, well, wait a second, is this a trick question? Um, Because I think I'm a little bit responsible for what the company culture is like, and him and her and they... And I actually think that's the right answer. I think company culture develops because of all the little and big interactions between employees on a day-to-day basis. I mean, that's what creates and maintains a sense of company culture. And sure, there's things that come from the top, but in terms of how people experience their workplace culture, that's built and maintained day in and day out by helping people treat each other. And some of training is getting at that, is getting at What do we expect from each other? What do we do in the workplace if we see something that violates our house rules? It doesn't mean it's against the law. We're not asking anyone to be um, evaluating what's lawful or unlawful. We're going above and beyond that. The law is the floor. Our house rules are a higher set of expectations of what we want our workplace to be. So what do we do if we observe somebody do something that's just not okay? You know, how do, how do we in the workplace intervene and be an effective bystander, an effective advocate, and really um, take ownership and pride over company culture? So I think training, I see training as being a piece of that, of giving people, um, having a conversation and giving people some of the tools and permission to, to say, you know what, that's right. This is my this is my company. This is my work home. <laughs> and so I care about what the home rules are. And I care about making sure that this feels like a good place for everybody to come to work. All right, so we've got the legal angle, and we know what a code of conduct is and why it's important. So what's next? Let's talk about how to create the right code of conduct for your company. To do this, we sat down with HR consultant Amy Scannell. She's the VP of HR Consulting Services at One Digital. Amy has been a mentor of mine for probably the last 10 years. Anytime I've started a project that I hadn't done before or I wanted some insight, I've reached out to Amy. So when we were thinking about doing our own code of conduct, my first thought was to reach out to her. We first asked Amy, how do you get started? So I think the most important thing is that it starts from a place that is authentic with leadership. We can draft all the fancy words in the world that sound politically correct, but unless senior leadership is going to defend and support and walk the walk, frankly. It's going to cause more harm than good, frankly. So I would say you need to understand where ownership and leadership wants to be and what their beliefs are and how deep they want to go. And as I said earlier, I don't know that you need to go too deep initially. I think the most important thing 
is to say things like, we believe in equality. We believe that it takes all different kinds to make our company fully functioning. I realize this sounds very simplistic, but honestly, I think this is a good place. Like, what, what do you believe with regard to diversity? We believe that if our customers are made up of all different types of people, then in order for us to meet those needs, we need all different types of people, which means that we can't all look and think exactly the same. Inclusion means that we value individuals, ideas, and that it we don't have a preconceived notion of where we're going and how we're going to get there and that we would welcome others to have input. So I think I would start small. Again, what do we want to be as a, as a company? What do we want to say? I wouldn't stretch it too far. It may very well be hard to support and substantiate and monitor, right, all of these things if you make it too complicated. And so I think making it as simple as possible and not getting tangled up with overarching heavy themes, but let's just say what it is we mean. And this is going to change. The world is changing. There are things that are happening every single day that we're not expecting, that we're surprised, that we're surprised both at what happens, but also our reaction to it as as a company and as a country. And how do we address those things? And by making it overly complicated, it's going to be harder to unravel those things when they happen. And I think it's safe to say that at some level, there are going to be questions and concerns and thoughts and provocation around these different concepts. That's really helpful. I think the concept of trying to keep it simple, but highlighting the things most important is a key helpful takeaway I'm curious if there's a list of things that when you're working with clients, you think are really important for people to make sure are articulated in their codes of conduct or are a priority in sharing out with the company as they're thinking about these things. So I think, and it sounds like you may want a list and I I don't have a list, but what I can tell you is that you want to think most about what is needed for the business, right? That's a, you can't have a business if, right, it it all needs to tie into that. So what's best for the business, but what's authentic to leadership and employees and what's, I'm going to say executable, I don't know if that's the right word, um, to make (laughs) sure that we can support it. So I think you want to think about things like why do we believe these things, right? Where are we coming from? What is it we want to do? And how can we support and ensure that that happens? And then how can we build in? I think this is a key piece. How do we continue to amend as necessary? The other thing I think when organizations put this together is they think about the most diverse group. And if we pull together the most diverse group, we will get the most diverse ideas, right? But what I think is important is to also pull together some general types of people that it may or may not resonate with. Introducing DE&I initiatives has been really interesting to see in other organizations. I mean, there are people that are working that don't think this is a priority, and I'm not going to say they're right or wrong. I think it's they're just not aware. There's an education, I think, that needs to happen so that people can get on board with why this is important. For certain segments, it's it's obviously incredibly important, and we need to address it. And then I do think that there, there are multiple people out there that 
are not understanding why this is so important right now. And I, I do believe in order for it to be successful within the organization and not a detraction, it's important to get those people on board as well. And I don't think we think of those people first. That's really helpful in terms of thinking about the rollout and what it takes for kind of this to not just be a release and then forgotten about two months later until, you know, the company needs to be reminded again. Are there other things that you've seen be effective for companies when rolling out their first code of conduct or perhaps a pretty substantial revision of it? that has been successful? So I think it would be helpful to ask people what they think, honestly, and to say this, we're excited to do this. This is important that we share our vision, our values, our mission, our how we wanna do business and how we wanna be as a culture. And it's important that it, one resonates with you, but also that you feel a part of it. And I think the other thing that organizations rarely do, right? You spend a lot of time in a think tank, think a lot of what needs to be and how it needs to be worded and is it does it look perfect and not about in two weeks, are we still referring to it? And so that goes back to the simplistic approach, like how do we make it part of who we are every day? And how do we not just make it a section in the handbook that maybe nobody ever looks at? Well, I guess what I... One thing I am wondering, this is like a bit of a zoom out and, and also a bit of a two-part question, but the first zoom out question is, so like, when is the optimal time for companies and, and leaders at the business to be thinking about this? And then as a follow-up, how iterative, in your opinion, should these processes be? That's tough, right? Because you could spend a lot of time creating, making it perfect, rolling it out, my answer to the first part of the question is as soon as it's necessary, which sitting here in the early part of 2021, we need to be doing something about diversity and inclusion and equity. There's just no way around it, in my opinion. It can be a very simple statement. I think when organizations take too long to do it, so for example, you roll out and say to your employees, based on the world we're living in right now, it's really important to us that we define and set up a code of conduct. These are the people that are going to be involved. We welcome your thoughts if, you know, make it available. And then to do something with it and get something out so that it's not so long that you don't want people saying, whatever happened to that? I think that we felt strongly about it, but I never saw anything happen. Another way to address iterative changes is to say, we're going to look at this semi-annually. We're going to look at this quarterly feels very heavy. Annually almost feels like not enough. So I would say probably every six months is when you'd want to look at it initially and see if it resonates and ask people if it resonates. Do a focus group and say, what do you think of this? You people in this panel weren't involved in the writing of this or in the rollout of it. I am dying of curiosity as to what this means to you. And do you feel like it gives you a structure that you can work comfortably in. Do you feel like it's missing something? Now, anytime you ask questions like this, it's a little dicey and you don't know what you're going to get and you can't get answers that you're not prepared. You don't have to do anything necessarily, but you absolutely have to acknowledge and react to what you're hearing. So your reaction could be as simple as, we hear you. That's an interesting thought. We'll take it under advisement. As you know, we're going to look at it again in six months and it may be that that's an opportunity, but you can't ask people for their feedback and then not do anything with it. Wistia has, has made some progress over the years, but we certainly 
even on the diversity, equity, and inclusion task force, look to other companies for inspiration. So for example, you know, we found a really comprehensive, very progressive, very DEI oriented code of conduct by Vox Media, which was a huge influencer in kind of the direction we wanted to go. And I think, you know, we've looked to other companies like Help Scout and Buffer for for inspiration on other policies. And I think that's, I mean, Google is such a gift in that it's often out there. Mm-hmm. And I think what's helpful for us is to be able to see what other companies are doing, peel back what feels authentic to us and, and build off of that in a way that feels very Wistia and pull the little pieces or threads that are very relevant to our company together to make something that is uniquely ours, but also influenced by others and not starting from a really intimidating place of, you know, zero. We're starting from absolute scratch. And I think that's been been helpful and made some of these things easier to get started on because there are companies out there that are thinking about this or have, have taken it on before. I couldn't agree more that using other sources and making it yours makes all the sense in the world. It's not, it's really the not doing anything and it's looking at the blank sheet of paper and saying, let's, let's look at that next month or, and then nothing happens. So I think, I think your approach is perfect. The fact that we're looking at all sort of things like this, this is the prime time to look at this. The world is coming back online. Things are starting to shift and move more quickly than they have, even for businesses that have been open the entire time. So for us to say, we're ready and we hear you and it's important that we're all on the same page and we value you. And to that end, we wanna give you some additional structure and authenticity in, in what we truly believe. With what we've learned so far today from Liz and Amy, it's clear that having a code of conduct has many, many benefits to a business. And I couldn't agree more with Amy that now really is the time to start writing and implementing your own. We're in the midst of writing and releasing our own code of conduct. So we've looked to other sources and brands to model ours after. One of those brands was Buffer. We sat down with Courtney Sider, the former VP of People at Buffer and current VP of People at Hologram. We wanted to talk to her about how they came up with their code of conduct and what it was really like putting it into practice. Courtney starts by telling us how her DEI journey got started at Buffer. This is such a startup story. We we were um, we had rented a boat, so we were, we were on this boat somewhere in Australia at one of our company retreats, and uh, we were like, oh, let's take a let's take a girl picture because there were only five women in the whole company. So we got together and we did a we did our girl picture, and then I was like, wait a minute, something's really weird about that. Like, why why were there so few of us that we could like be in this like tiny photo? So that kind of opened the door for me to start thinking about like, huh, like whose voices are we not hearing on this team? Like who is not represented? And there are many groups at that point who who were not represented 
and Buffer, you know, is a global company with a global customer base. So from that point, it was a real journey to broaden my horizons, broaden everyone's horizons, and make sure that Buffer was a place where everyone could feel comfortable and we had representation that um, could actually represent our customer base all around the world. I'm curious if you can talk a little bit about how you and the company got to the point where you knew you needed one and then what that next step was once you realized you needed to put something together. The Code of Conduct is one of feels like one million things that we um, sort of scrambled to do in an organized manner when we realized we had gotten pretty far behind in, in terms of representation and in terms of creating a company um, that felt like everyone could belong. So those efforts encompassed everything from hiring, onboarding, when folks are within the company, like how do we make everyone feel included? How do we make everyone's voices feel heard and important? All the way to sort of the the legalese kind of policies. And that um, for us and for many companies, I think tends to include a harassment policy, which was the first piece we put into place, um, really starting to enumerate basically what we won't accept, like what behavior is is you know, outside of the pale, what we will not accept. And then sort of as a companion piece to that, I think it came maybe a few months to a year later, was the code of conduct. And those um, documents kind of work together in, in tandem. One talks more about what we do want, and one talks more about what we don't want. Um, one is like the culture that we, we, we create together. And the flip side is sort of um, the culture that we will not accept and the culture that um, cannot stand at this company. So they are sort of like not exactly two sides of the same coin, but definitely related documents. When you went into putting together the code of conduct, what was your best case scenario? What impact were you trying to have on the company or the culture to move it forward? At that point, our team had progressed to a pretty deep understanding of, you know, topics like unconscious bias, like uh, just being able to define diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. They they were kind of like at the maybe like the 102 level of understanding, um, you know, how how these systems operate in, in a larger sphere, how they operate, you know, within capitalism and within the world and how at a company level we can start to, you know, unlearn some things and address some things. So we weren't beginners at this point. We had we had kind of like done a little research. We had, you know, done some training. Um, so that's kind of the spot we we were in. And, you know, practically speaking, we wanted something tangible to show to the team, to potential teammates, um, candidates who are interested in the company to say, you know, we it's easy to say, like, we care about these things. Like, you know, DEI is like so important to us. Well, what have you done? What are you doing? And what are the behaviors that are acceptable? And what are the behaviors that are not acceptable? So one of the main things we wanted was a tangible document to show the team and to show candidates and to show anyone who's interested really this is who we are this is who we're trying to be and this is the culture that we're trying to create together where did you all get started what was your kind of uh i guess the genesis of the document did you seek inspiration from others did it come from a small team for companies who are trying to get started i think it's really helpful to understand how other companies get started, because this can be pretty intimidating to take on. 
our code of conduct at Buffer is so heavily um, in the debt of many others who have come before us. Like parts of it are just fully lifted from the Vox code of conduct, from um, recurse centers, um, from the hack code of conduct, from a really wonderful um, blog post that I'll make sure y'all, um, I'll, I'll send the link over to you by Andrea Berica around um, the idea of, you know, really getting a code of conduct together, even if you are a small startup, which at the time we, you know, we're still a little bit smaller. So yes, this is not something I, I would never want to put out there that this is original work. This is so heavily influenced by so many others. Yeah, we uh, we took a look at buffers. We also looked at boxes, which I think the way that they're able to just simplify things that seem very intimidating to put to paper in an accessible way mm-hmm. was really impressive to me. And I think made it feel a little bit less intimidating to take on as a piece of work. Absolutely. Like such a strong voice in that one. And and I absolutely agree. It, it it's it makes it feel like, oh, you're just saying what what we believe in and what we value and what we won't stand for. Like we we create this together. It did make it seem less intimidating and like something any company can do, which I firmly believe any company can do this. Like there's so many resources out there for you to create a document like this if you want. You mentioned that you're about to take this work on at your new workplace. What would you tell yourself, current you, past you is telling you something, what did you learn that you would do differently or plan to approach differently as you head into doing this for a totally different culture, totally different team, but with the benefit of all this experience rolling it out at a past place? One is to make sure to bring your team with you on this journey. You know, if you do this work, you're sort of inundated with the jargon and the latest, you know, like the thing that we've canceled or thing that we're going to cancel or, you know, we're, the, the culture is moving so fast. And often, you know, if you're an engineer, if you're a marketer, like you're not in this conversation day to day. You don't know if you're using like an outdated term or like not referring to something the way that you should be. So I think I took it for granted that folks were like getting all the same educational information that I was every day. So one thing that I will do differently this time is really bring the team with me and and make sure that that information that's important is getting disseminated across the team. Like all those norms are understood by everybody. You know, I I can't take it for granted that people know what DEI uh, means at this company. Like I'm still figuring out like kind of where they are on that spectrum. So um, I think that's a really important thing to remember is to meet people where they are, bring them along with you. Um, That's how I think you're going to get the best sort of like buy-in and the best results for actually creating not just a document that says you're you're good at culture but a culture that says like we we actually value people and you can belong here so that's probably the the biggest one and another one that is um kind of more specific to me perhaps is not to do anything for any particular group without talking to members of that group i think it can be very touchy if uh you know I'm like for Black History Month and like, should I should I talk to the black employees? Like, or maybe they just want to be left alone. Like they don't want to be a black employee at Hologram. They just want to, you know, be doing their work. Well, that absolutely could be true. And I always try and leave that option open. But I, I think I've gone too far in the other direction. And I don't want to do anything that is about you without you ever again. So I really try and veer into um, the idea of like, at least giving them whoever the underrepresented group is, 
um, that we're, we're working towards something for uh, an opportunity to be involved with that. And it's absolutely fine and okay to say like, no, thank you. Appreciate that you're doing that, but I just want to do my job. Like either answer is great, but keep everyone involved. Earlier this year, the online job search and recruiting site Glassdoor released a video asking a diverse group of employees from different companies what diversity and inclusion meant to them. The video was part of their campaign about including more DNI features on their site. And to be clear, this is not an ad for them and they are not a sponsor. But when I came across this video, I was really moved by what many of the people shared. And how to listen to each other and how to meet each other where we're at. Um, just having even a manager who immediately got on board with using the pronoun that I asked to, them to use. I mean, that was a huge, huge relief for me. And they were really supportive and told me not to be afraid. They, under, they understand. Yeah, what does diversity and inclusion mean to me now? A community, it means belonging, it means being seen and felt and heard. It means everyone's invited to the party. Despite your age, despite your color, despite you know, any identity you, you may have, because that's gonna make the party much more fun. It means bringing people together, no matter what their background is. When I hear stories like that, it reinforces to me why this work is so important. It's a clear indication that even the smallest gestures can have a huge impact. There's a lot that goes into creating inclusive spaces. A code of conduct is one of those key pieces to get in place as soon as possible. We hope this episode gave you some things to think about and some ways to take action as you build towards a workplace where people don't just have a seat at the table, but feel like they are genuinely part of a community that values each individual. A Better Workplace is a production of Wistia Studios. The hosts are Jane Jackson and yours truly, Colin Denny. This episode was written and produced by Ron Dawson, editing by Adam Day, and mixing by Josh Solarski. Huge thanks to Liz Monin-Browder, Amy Scannell, and Courtney Sider. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to the various codes of conduct which inspired us, as well as to that full Glassdoor video we referenced, entitled Unheard Voices. If you like what we're doing on the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd also appreciate it if you'd leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We'll be back in two weeks.